Hi there and welcome to the good news according to Job. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a video, <clears throat> but we're back. And I'm glad that we have this opportunity to carry on digging into the into the book of Job. I hope that as, uh, as we haven't been uh, looking at it over the last couple of weeks, that you've continued to read and wrestle and consider what Job is all about and what Job has to say. And uh, I hope that you're excited to dig into the next section of Job. Uh, this week in particular, we're turning to where Job speaks again. This is still this is now part of that second cycle of discourses that take place. And we turn to Job himself as he responds to Eliphaz. And so we get to see uh, just not only what Job has to say, but we see quite a number of things happening in this section. Uh, a few things just to keep in mind is that uh, if if you are someone that has encountered suffering and hardship in life, you will know that your emotions, they fluctuate. And so as you read through what Job has to say, there's in many ways a fluctuation of his emotions, of his thinking, the way he's wrestling with who God is, with his friends, with uh, his circumstance. And this is quite an uh, incredible passage that we get to look at today. But it's also a reminder that Job is human, that Job is uh, someone that has encountered incredible hardships, but also that he is dealing with his emotions, he's dealing with his thoughts, and he's dealing with the reality of what it means to have people around you, and how those people can either support you, uh, as you would hope that they could, or how they can disappoint you. And so we see the issue of what Job's friends have been doing coming to the surface again in this in this section this week. And so this week we are turning to Job 16 and 17. But before we begin that, just a slight a reminder of something that Eliphaz said. <clears throat> and that sets us up for what Job is about to say in this section as well. And it's going to be ringing in the back of our resonating in the back of our minds as we hopefully look at this section this week. So just to re uh, recap uh, what Eliphaz said in chapter 15, he says this in verse 2, Would a wise person answer with empty notions, or fill their belly with the hot east wind? And so <clears throat> Eliphaz, uh, he's, his initial thing that he says here is, He's putting himself in the league or in the grouping of wise people that what he is about to say is not empty notions. Um, and as he says, or fill their belly with hot east winds. It's a wind coming from the east, especially in that world. There would be It would be a wind that comes from the desert. And so he is saying that essentially it's a hot, it's, a, it's not a good wind, it's not the kind of wind that you want, it doesn't bring comfort, it doesn't bring uh, anything good with it, it's not a, a, it's not a wind that brings rain, uh, it's a wind that brings dryness. And so he says, would a wise person answer with empty notions? Uh, would a wise person answer with nonsense, with nothing, nothing that makes sense? And furthermore, or fill their belly with a hot east wind, with something that, again, is, is useless or, or not actually wanted at all. And so we need that in the back of our mind because this is how he starts it. He's, he's essentially putting himself in this category of saying, I'm not coming with nonsense. I'm not coming with uh, empty words. I'm coming with weighty words, things that I want you to, to wrestle with and consider and contemplate. And so we're going to hear the response that Job has to this uh, in this week's passages. 
And this week we are looking at Job 16 and 17. And we're not going to read through all of that. It's uh, quite a chunky piece. But as we go, we're going to highlight quite a few aspects out of it. And uh, we will make our way through the majority of the text. But as we begin, I want us to turn to the first or to the second verse of Job 16 and listen to what it says. I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. And so right up front, Job begins, he says, you comforters, you who call yourself comforters are miserable. Uh, you do not help. Nothing you say is actually helping me in my circumstance. And so this might seem strong. It might seem actually, maybe you feel that Job is unfair in saying this. Uh, but we need to consider uh, Job and his circumstance. So perhaps the game that we need to play with ourselves is if you were Job, uh, if you were Job in his circumstance, what would you want your friends to be saying to you? What would you want your friends to be doing? Uh, and how would you want them to uh, talk to you or encourage you? Uh, and so as you think that through, if if you can play that game, maybe you've been in that position, but if you can play that game for a moment, what would you want if you were in Job's position? Would you want uh, friends who come alongside you and say, what's happening to you is because you've sinned. What's happening to you is because of something that's, that, that you're not admitting to and you need to find out. And, and we're going to help you find out what you've done wrong. Or do you want friends that are going to come alongside you and say, I know this is difficult. And whatever the circumstances, whatever the reason, don't give up. Continue to serve God. Continue to fear Him. Uh, continue to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Uh, what kind of comforter would you want in that circumstance? Someone that's going to lift you up, encourage you in a way that draws you closer to God? Or someone that's going to come alongside you and try and find the faults in who you are and what you've done? And so Job is looking at not only Eliphaz, but the other, the other uh, two friends and what they've said up until this point. And he's saying, you're miserable comforters. Because in actual fact, none of you have comforted me uh, in a way that is uh, valuable, in a way that is what I need. All of you are looking, you're on a, for lack of a better way of putting it, you're on a witch hunt for my sin and the reason for my suffering. That's what you're doing. But none of you are encouraging me, building me up, pointing me to God. And what I need is that. And so the first, ver the second verse here in chapter 16 is in absolute contrast to, to what Eliphaz says. Eliphaz saying, would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with, hot east, with a hot east wind? And Job says, well, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. And so Job, right up front, he's, he's almost correcting their, their own view of themselves. He carries on and then he adds to it. He says, will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? And so he just packs onto it. He adds so much more as to what, uh, what, it, what they are saying and what's wrong uh, about what they are saying. He says that they're, they're not only um, what they're saying is not helpful, they're not comforting him, but he's saying they're long-winded speeches. And, and it just feels like there's no end to what you're saying. And beyond that... 
He says, why do you keep on arguing? Why do you keep arguing with me? Why do you keep arguing about this? And then we need to pick up on the next verse, verse 4 there. He says, I also could speak like you. So here he's playing this game. I could also speak like you if I were in your, uh, if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. And so right there we can see that he's, he's playing this game as well. Where he's saying, well, if I was in your position, I could do what you're doing. I could have long-winded speeches. I could, I could do exactly that too. I could shake my head against you as well. And then verse 5. But my mouth would encourage you. This is where Job sets himself apart. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Job is saying here that him as if he had to be a comforter. And perhaps he's speaking from a place of being in the midst of needing that comfort. So he actually is He's exposing his heart. He's telling us how he needs to be treated or how he longs to be treated. And he's saying, if I were you and you were me, I would comfort you in a way that you would actually find relief. You would find relief from your suffering, from your hardship, that you would actually be able to have a breath of fresh air. And this he then goes on to say in verse 6, Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved, and if I refrain, it does not go away. So he's highlighting there that even in his own position, if he continues to speak, or if he's quiet, if he brushes the circumstance under the rug, uh, or if he continues to moan about it and wallow in it or talk about it, it's not going to help him. It's not going to stop uh, what he is feeling. The pain is there, the pain is real, but what he longs for is for people to come around him, comforters that can speak truth, but also point him toward God, give him a comfort, give him something that he can truly hold on to. So keeping in mind what Job told us right up front, earlier on in, in the book of Job, is that the one thing that he really is uh, that he really doesn't want to encounter or come to the point of is where he come. He doesn't want to come to the point of denying God. He doesn't want to come to the point of, uh, in in many ways, uh, cursing God, as we are told up front as to why uh, this is allowed to happen to see whether Job will or won't curse God. And we know we hear Job's language uh, subtly coming through. Uh, that this is the last thing that he would want to do is to curse God. Because it is for him far better to go to the grave and ha- having not yet denied God or his word. And so his, his longing is that he holds on. His longing is that his comforters encourage him to hold on and not to deny God, not to curse God. And that is what he longs for. And then he says something very interesting in verse 7. He says, Surely, God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. And and this is where uh, Job uh, 16 and 17 shift as he really starts to look to God and ask questions. Notice the, the surely he says up front there. He says, Surely, God, you have worn me out. This isn't a statement. This isn't definite absolutely definite but it is a contemplation he is saying surely god you have worn me out you have devastated my entire household 
I mean, who is in control? And Job is wrestling with this idea that, is it not true that God is in control, even when he endures suffering and hardship? Is God not in control? And you'll see how the language continues. He says, you have shriveled me up in verse 8. And in verse 9, God assails me and tears me in his anger. Um, and so it goes. And then 10, he says, people open their mouths to jeer at me. Now suddenly it becomes broader, but it's what's permitted. The people are jeering against them. And then he gives us backdrop as to who he was in verse 12. He says, all was well with me. But he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. And this goes back to language that Job has already used. That he sees himself as this target. God has made a target practice of him. As he says in verse 13, His archers surround me without pity. He pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. I mean, this is a picture of, of brutality, uh, and that's his emotion. That's the emotion of Job bubbling through, coming to the surface as you, as you listen and you soak in these words. It's, it's vivid images, it's harsh images, but we get the emotion of what Job is enduring, what he's facing here. And then verse 14, again and again he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. So it's this image of uh, battle, <laughs> battle for that matter. And Job feels like he's just facing this onslaught of attack after attack after attack. And, and this is Job just bearing his heart here. He is experiencing pain and suffering and he's sharing with us uh, what he is feeling, what he is uh, ultimately, where his where his heart goes, how his emotions are fluctuating, how how he longs for true comforters, but in the same breath, how he feels that God has made him a target. So notice that. Notice the the, the waves of his emotions as it as it rises and falls. Um, and then we can turn to verse fifteen, which is really incredible because we see this this picture of. Uh, mourning, but also of humility, as he says, I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. And here you see Job. And, and, and what's beautiful about this is we're going to see it again uh, at the end of Job, in Job 42, as he, as he presents himself before God once more. But this is it. Uh, this is where he is. And, and if you haven't yet got the emotion of what Job is going through, here, verse 16, my face is red with weeping, dark shadow ring, ring my eyes. He, he's saying, I, my face is red from all the crying. I mean, all the loss that I've endured, all the hardship I've faced. And, and, I, and I can't sleep. I have dark rings around my eyes for the lack of sleep. I'm... I'm, I have no rest. And then he says this, verse 17, Yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure. I mean, that's beautiful, what Job says there. That even though, all, through all this hardship, through all this turmoil, through all the suffering, his prayer, he, he, he longs to acknowledge and, and try 
and cry out to God, to pray in, with a pure heart. And then Job shifts, and, and for me this is probably some of the most exciting few verses that we find in chapter 16, uh, maybe chapter 16 and 17, however you want to look at it. But what Job says here, listen to this in verse, uh, in verse 18 uh, onwards, verse 18 to 21, we'll read that. He says, Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man, he pleads with God, as one pleads with a friend. I mean, for us today, this is a beautiful, absolutely beautiful image of our intercessor, our advocate, the one that intercedes for us, Jesus Christ. But these words here, you part of you wants to ask the question, is he perhaps saying that a true friend should look like this? That my friends that are sitting here, this is what they should be doing. Perhaps Job is playing around with that idea a little bit here. That a true friend, a true comforter, would be one that would be interceding on behalf of him, crying out to God, calling out to God, that God would show him mercy. Uh, but yet we see this perfect picture painted for us today in Jesus Christ. So it's phenomenal that Job uses these words because they resonate so true for the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. How he, as Job says here, as he, as he is my witness in heaven, my advocate on high. And, and he goes on in verse 20, my intercessor is my friend. You might have other translations, there might be some discrepancies on that verse, but, but I think the NIV really grasps it and, and captures it really beautifully, where he says, my intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God, as one pleads for a friend. I mean, that's a true comforter. That's a true friend. That's a true comforter. That's a true mediator. And this, and this ties back into uh, Job's longing earlier in chapter 9, verse 33, where he, he longs for this. He longs for this, uh, this kind of person that will step in. And I'm going to flip back there and just read that for us again. He says in verse 32 of chapter 9, He is not a, a mere mortal, talking about God, like me, that I might answer him that we might confront each other in court. Listen to these, ver these words in verse 33. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. And so we get that picture in chapter 9 already. And, and it seems like Job is just taking this image further and he's wrestling with it deeper and deeper. And saying, this is, this is more of his heart. Saying, I, I long for someone that will truly comfort me. 
but also be interceding for me. That will be stepping in the gap where I, I'm, I can't come before God. I'm his enemy. I'm his target. God is making target practice of me and I need someone uh, to step in and help. And what's bizarre about it is you get so excited as you read this, especially for us today This in this New Testament kind of backdrop that we have and that we that we spend so much time focusing on. You get so excited by these verses that you 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 look uh, to to who Jesus is, and and it's not a bad thing to do, but by doing so you lose out on seeing just the human aspect of Job's suffering here, and and what makes it so remarkable is that as you carry on reading, you you would want to say, okay, Job, stop there. Yes, amen. This is great. This is good. This is the good news. This is where you want to get. This is where you want to be. Stay there now. Maybe you want to be like a, a good friend to Job. And at this point, you want to tell him, yes, you're on the right track. That's good. Stay there. But Job starts to go further. And you see his emotions fluctuating again as he continues to contemplate, continues to wrestle. And listen to these words uh, as they progress. He says, at the end there of, of chapter 16 in verse 22. Only a few years will pass before I take the path of no return. My spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The, the grave awaits me. Surely mockers surround me. My eyes must dwell on their hostility. And, and you hear how his, this starts turning away from this this idea of of someone bearing witness, someone testifying, someone interceding for him. And it just begins to turn darker and darker. And, and, and chapter 17 almost becomes this, this lament, but possibly uh, one of the those kind of really dark laments that you try and avoid at all costs. And he carries on in verse 3, he says, Give me, O God, the pledge you demand. Who else will put up security for me? You have closed their minds to understanding. Therefore, you will not let them triumph. If anyone denounces their friends for reward, the eyes of their children will fail. God has made me a byword to everyone, a man in whose face people spit. My eyes have grown dim with grief. My whole frame is but a shadow. And, and I can carry on. I mean, this just gets... <laughs> so dark it becomes so uh, sad what he says here and in the middle of it he, he turns listen to this in verse 10 he says but come on all of you try again I will not find a wise man among you <laughs> he, he, for a brief moment he, he looks to the friends again as he goes deeper and deeper and deeper into this this pit that he's in, then he looks at them and he says, you, you're putting yourself amongst the wise. And if you recall what Job said uh, earlier on in one of the previous chapters, Job actually says, what would be true wisdom is if you kept quiet. <laughs> and here it followed by them saying, putting themselves among the wise. 
And here in verse 10, Job says, but come on, all of you, try again. He's, he's almost taunting them to say, try again, try and, try and talk to me, try and comfort me, try and do something. Um, and then he, you can see his, 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 the depth of where he's at here. And he says, I will not find a wise man among you. He says, you guys, you are not wise. And then he goes back into this, he goes deeper into the pit of self-reflecting in, in many ways. My days have passed, my plans are shattered, yet the desires of my heart turn night into day. Now this is a bit ambiguous. We don't quite know what Job is implying here. Job could be implying two things. That going back to what he said earlier on, it could suggest that that desire for the grave so that that the that he would die so that he doesn't deny God could be that that darkness turning to light that he longs for the grave so that rather than this world of darkness that he could actually still have hope and that that is light in comparison or he is suggesting that perhaps death as just in a far more blatant sense that death at this point seems far more lighter, far more uh, filled with hope, if you want to put it that way, uh, than this life, this life of suffering that he is facing, this life of suffering that he's been enduring. And then he says this as he goes on, uh, picking up, carrying on with verse 11, he says, My days have passed, my plans are shattered, yet the desires of my heart turn night into day. In the face of darkness, light is near. And we, we think this is going to be a exciting and, and maybe a change in his mood. But listen as he goes on. If the only home I hope for is the grave, if I spread out my bed in the realm of darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will, will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? And I think what Job is asking here is perhaps quite a crucial question. It seems like what Job is asking here is, when I go into the grave, I'm longing for the grave because this life is unbearable. But is there hope? Is there hope once the grave comes? When I enter into the grave, is there hope there? Is there something better? Now, keeping in mind, in, in that world, the ancient Near East, in that time, uh, there was this concept of uh, a type of afterlife in different cultures and different uh, religions. There was this idea of afterlife, uh, uh, maybe a rebirth. There, there was a, a number of different views. So the idea of something after death wasn't foreign. But what Job is asking here is, is there hope? Is it better than what I'm currently facing? And so this becomes a really incredible uh, question that he asks. Uh, you really see the depth of uh, his suffering and his hardship. And he looks uh, at his circumstance and he says, I long for the grave because it seems better than what I'm facing. 
But will hope go with me? Will hope descend into the grave with me? That when I go there, there will be hope. And it will be worth it. That it will be better than this. And so, it's these little nuggets that we pick up on in Job 16 and 17 that really make these sections so incredible for us today. We see Job's uh, longing for someone, for friends, first and foremost, to be true comforters. And none of them are truly pointing him to God. And then he adds to it, longing for someone that's going to intercede for him. Someone that will intercede for him uh, with God. And he longs for, for that. And yet he longs for the grave. That he will stop having to suffer in this world. But he hopes... His hope is that there will be something better. That God is uh, preparing something. And I think for us today, the most remarkable thing is that God was preparing something, is preparing something. He has prepared something for everyone that believes in Him. But those that come to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, the level of hope is so incredible. It's not like anything that any religion uh, in this world can offer. This world has so many different systems and and, uh, hoops that you have to jump through. But here we have Christ who has done it all for us. And as we endure suffering now, we can ask the question of, will hope uh, follow us? And the answer is in Christ, yes. Yes. This life is hard. This life is not what we want it to be. But God has answered Job's question here. God has answered Job's question here for us. That yes, there is hope after the grave. Because Christ has overcome the grave. And that hope is life. That hope is a perfect life in Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. So for us, we we get that glimpse of that good news that comes through Job. Job's asking the right questions. He's wrestling with stuff that for us today we think is so obvious, but we need to take a step back. And before we put in the checks and balances, knowing that yes, Jesus is the answer, that we look to what Job is asking and see how God has let that plan unfold. And that we are so much like Job in many ways. We're facing suffering today in many kinds of ways. And there is hope. So may that be an encouragement to you today. That maybe you are, like many of us, suffering, facing hardship. Longing for the grave. Persevere. Hang in there. Don't give up on God. And especially don't give up on His Son, Jesus Christ. Now as much as I'm saying those words to you, as you're listening to them, I need to be reminded of them. Daily. It's not something that you can hear once a year. This is something that we need to be reminded of daily. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep enduring. 
It's worth it. In Christ, it is worth it. And God has a plan. A plan that is not going to change. A plan that is set in motion and is solidified in Jesus Christ. And a plan that no matter how hard this life may be, that it can never rob us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So my encouragement for you today, and hopefully it is what Job would have longed to have heard, is keep going. Persevere. I know it is tough. But let's lift one another up to the Lord. Let's point one another to God. Let's point one another to Jesus Christ. Let's encourage one another daily. So I hope that you will be encouraged to do so. Get on the phone. Phone someone that needs to be reminded of this. Share with them Jesus Christ. Don't try and solve their problems. Don't try and solve their situation or their suffering. To trust. To turn to Jesus Christ. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Cheers, bye.